Yeah, but it's green. It's green. I don't I don't care if it's beer. It's green. I'm not drinking it. Now, maybe if you had green vodka, I would consider it. Oh, hi. It's Pete Pomisano here on another edition of our LTP's Off-Road. And it's a special edition today because it's an all-designer edition. That's right. My primary guest today is Diane Burlingame. Diane Burlingame is a professional designer, educator, set designer, prop designer, set decorator. Diane has worked for a number of, of great theaters in the Buffalo area. And she's always one of my favorites because her sets always look so remarkably detailed and interesting. And don't get me wrong, there are other great set designers around, but I like Diane, so I wanted to talk to her and find out where she came from and and what her plans are and how she became so in demand. And to make things even more interesting, I have a mystery guest, a surprise guest, Another set designer, one of the very best in Buffalo, Mr. David King from the Cavanoke Theater. And we are all hoping that the Cavanoke and the Road Less Traveled Theater will be opening soon. Things are looking up anyway, I think. So we'll get to the great Diane Burling game in a minute. But first, if you've been to the Cavanoke, you've seen his magnificent sets. Here's David King. You know what? I've, how many years have you been doing the Cavanoke? 30. 30. The first one I did was uh, about 28 years ago, something like that. And then uh-huh. in 95, I was I, I was made the resident designer. So I, I did see. all of them, you know, after that for a while. Well, I ask because with all of that behind you, 30 years of, <laughs> it would be hard to pick a favorite. But I also thought there must be one that sticks in your mind where you go, Oh, that one was a killer. That one, I, I, we really had a problem. I mean, aside from the chair in Sweeney Todd, yeah. <laughs> there, there must have been, which by the way was brilliant. But oh, and that chair, you did, you designed that entirely yourself, right? Designed and built it. I didn't upholster it. I had we sent it out. The pieces out. They have upholstered. Oh, you, that, you yeah. drew the line at upholstery. Yeah, <laughs> smart, yeah. smart move. But yeah. all the other, but all the other set pieces and making all of that work together was was yeah. astounding. You know what? One I was thinking of was the Secret Order. Oh yeah, where you had the 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 robot tables, yeah, the robot tables and the tracks in the floor, yeah. and the tables would rise and fall mm-hmm. electronically, and they also lit up, and they lit up, and yeah. and were they made of like a lucite, a transparent? I don't remember now. There was a um, yeah, there was like a. a lucite top on it so you couldn't tell it wasn't transparent but you couldn't tell that it was you know until it actually lit up Mm -hmm. that there was anything other than just a a surface you know black surface and somebody was off stage all of it was run to a a cable off stage where somebody was dialing up moving the the table up or down if it was a coffee table if it was a mid-range table if it was a desk or if it was a high bench or a bench to sit on and it had a pivot point they each had a pivot point so it would go all the way around on a, on a like one leg. That's right. And then it would go up and down and light up and yeah. Okay, well, I've, this is way more than one question, but here's my yeah. real, where the heck did you come up with that idea? Not necessarily for that show, but I mean, just in general, who comes up with adjustable two by two by four, maybe size? Yeah, there were two different sizes. There was, um, I've actually, I've got a piece of the glass that was on top of there right here I'm covering my desk right now. <laughs> so, you know, don't, I, I never throw anything away. The last thing I threw out was my bat. So. <laughs> Reuse whatever I get. Where do you come up with an idea at that? Well, I don't crazy. know exactly, I mean, but I knew it. we needed to have something like really simplistic and also very modern looking. We were going with, for like a you know, sort of a, almost a sci-fi kind of look for it, you know, for the whole thing. And um, I, I'm not sure how it came. I know there was just, we needed to have like 
couple simple things that could do a lot of different things and it just evolved from there you know just a little bit at a time had you found somewhere some kind of a a, a motor what do they call them um, um, linear servo? actuators is what they are there's two linear actuators that has like a it has like a piston okay and it can it can go you know 18 inches throw and mm -hmm. i put that into the thing to make it rise and, and lower and um it's they're neat things there's a little silent motor that can lift 600 pounds straight up in the air had you stumbled upon those first and then said hmm how can i use these or did you think of the design of the, it, it's sort of like an ironing board with the cross legs yeah you know and it would go up and down um so which came first the actuator or the idea well, originally i was thinking i would use like a a hydraulic piston okay and from there, I, I discovered these things on, you know, Granger. You can get them at Granger. They're called linear actuators. And, uh, it's, you know, we've, since then, we've used them for a lot of different things. And uh, grounded to move the giant screens, I was using those same uh, actuators. Amazing. But that's, that's come to think of it, that's another one of my favorites is uh, grounded. David Lamb used to say, I always try to let David King have some little toy, something in each set that is a <laughs> challenge or a, a something unique that that you can stretch your imagination on in all of your designs you know they're not just little box sets or they're not just there's always one little thing in there that well how did he do that swinging door or how did he do the revolving door or how did they put that turntable oh now there are two turntables in good people where there was a turntable on the floor as well there's always something in your designs that is a little challenging a little a little bit different, and I think that's probably your signature. Well, yeah, I, I like to do something a little different each time, and I like to challenge myself each time, and it kind of drives the builder in me. You know, the designer has fun, and then I have to build it, and that, you know, <laughs> that's when I have to I drive myself a little crazy sometimes. And and I've heard other people that it, that help, help me build these things, you know. You, you know, you could have made this simple, you know. You couldn't have to be <laughs> compound curves on this wall and things like that, you know. It's on purpose, I guess. Have you ever de designed something that even you yourself said, what the hell was I thinking? Why, why, did I, why did I do it this way? I mean, eventually the things do work, but I don't think there's any, I've gotten to a point where it's, it's so, so convoluted that, that I just have to throw it away and start over. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. eventually it ends up working. But, uh, well, David, this has turned out to be way more than one question, but I... Oh, and, and oh, here's another one. The producers. Oh, yeah. At the Cavanoke. Yeah. You had stuff going underneath stairs. Things were coming oh, yeah. out. Things were... Because the other challenge at the Cavanoke is the is the wing space or lack of it. Yeah, there's no wing space, no fly space. No fly space. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Listen, I'm not going to keep you any longer, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun talking to you. I hope you and your family stay safe. Thank you. And, uh, and I hope to see you in real life again very soon. Oh, yeah. Me too. Thanks. Thanks, David. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a terrific creative guy, David King, over there at the Cavanoke, and he really does beautiful work. And speaking of beautiful work, here is another designer, because that's what this episode is all about, designers. And look around you, everything in your house is the result of a designer. Anyway, here's Diane Burlingame to talk to us about her career as a designer and an educator and just about everything else I could think to talk to her about. Here's Diane Burlingame here on Off-Road. No, 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 let's not start that again. There'll be time for this coming up a little later on. <laughs> I just made a pun. Time. Get it? Time for this? Get clock ticking time. Okay, here's Diane. So we're welcoming Diane Burlingame, one of my favorite people, because I love when I'm doing a show at RLTP or someone else, and I walk in and I see a woman with a screw gun or a hammer in her hand, and I say, oh, Diane is here. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to mention the fact that your your sets are always just, oh, just gorgeous and so detailed. For those okay. of you who don't know who Diane Burlingame is... She is a set designer extraordinaire, a scenic artist, a props artisan, shall we call you? Yes. And, and, and one of the most familiar faces recently. And, you know, as I started doing research on you, I realized you've done 
course, I think of you often with, with Road Less Traveled, but mm-hmm. holy cow, you've been in Irish classical. You you did Ballyhoo, uh, the last night of Ballyhoo? For, I must not have even known you then. Yeah, that's that's the first show that we did together, Peter, and that was a, a co-design. I, I walked in to the alleyway where the, that was being staged, and I believe the set was just up. <laughs> and so I don't think I saw much of you at that point, but you, we had very limited time in, in the space. Yeah, indeed. So you guys probably were in there, you know, kicking butt for a couple of several days before we got there. But I, I completely forgot about that. And of course, I forgot that you did Bridges at the Cavanoke and then Musical Fair, yep. cooking at the cookery. And because and, I'm thinking of, you know, Superior Donuts, which I just love that set. Oh, thanks. And Hand to God, which I have yet to see. A lot of people have that. And of course, for my own personal time with you, the Country House and Billy, mm-hmm. Billy the Kid, and of course, undeniable sound of right now, uh, that set as you and I spoke was near and dear to both of our our hearts. Yeah. Uh, but but I also loved Speed of Light. I I love those weird science fictiony ones that you did. Just so cool. Anyway, that's what Diane Burlingame is. And are you also teaching right now? At, at UB? Yep, I don't know what uh, the situation is there. Is anything going on in person or is it all? It's It's been a mix uh, of um, in-person and remote. I have been uh, fully remote uh, with my teaching and involvement and was on leave for, for part of the fall. Well, we'll get to that shortly, but let's, sure. let's find out, let's find out where the heck you came from. <laughs> you know, I'm always excited when uh, I find that somebody is a local person and you are sort of local because you're from Rochester, which yep. is, you know, a hop, skip and a jump 80, 90 minutes down the road. So are you uh, originally from the Rochester area or did you spend your whole, you know, childhood and everything there? Or did you come from somewhere else first? Whole childhood in Rochester, New York, and yeah. then moved to Buffalo to, to attend UB, where I now teach. Uh, I, I came out here to do my undergrad when I was 17 mm-hmm. uh, and was here for four years of undergrad study. And then I lived in Dallas, Texas for three years. And that's where I got my graduate degree. And then I moved back to Buffalo, and I've been here ever since. The graduate degree was at Southern Methodist. Is that correct? Am I yep. correct? Mm-hmm. So now, tell me. I, I, you know, I did I just thought of this question. Now, when you were attending UB, who were your mentors? Who were your inspirational people? Did you go in there saying, "I want to do this, these things, four artistic things," or did somebody there? grab you and say and not grab you physically but i mean did working with somebody there say to you this is what i want to do so going in as a as a freshman i was interested in theater i had done theater in high school mm-hmm. but went in as an undecided major my let's see it was across the hall in the dorms a gal that i i got to be friends with um angela christentello who is uh an actress um she's mm-hmm. out in california now but she did a little bit of work in buffalo before she left so listeners might recognize the name but angela was dead set on on performing and she brought me into the theater department at ub and i of course gravitated towards some of the backstage folk and got to chatting and got involved in just sort of the periphery uh, my freshman year and got sucked into doing master electrician work um and i love that expression i got sucked into it because that's you come here (laughs) <laughs> here, here's a wire stripper. Come here. Yeah, I, I somehow ended up being the master electrician uh, on the musical, and I was also the light board operator for the oh show. Oh my goodness! And during during the the tech part of the process, um, I kept making suggestions to the lighting designer, <laughs> not knowing that that's not really what you're supposed to do because no. I was 17 and 90. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, Diane. And. <laughs> The, the design professor came up to me after the technical rehearsal and said, great that you're offering the suggestions, but why don't you wait and enroll in a design course uh, next semester and, and we'll go from there. And then, then I, I was sucked in. And, and that person, uh, Kathy Norgren, is now one of my colleagues that I teach wow. with all the time. So you did some theater things in, in high school? I did, yeah. Were you performing? At first. And then I realized that 
you could work backstage. And I, I picked up a paintbrush. I, I carried around a, a stack of gels and I, I never went back to the performing again. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've said this before on the podcast, but I directed a, a ton of high school musicals and the, the kids who did all the backstage things, they were always my favorite, all the tech, because number one, most in most cases, Diane, and I don't know how it was with you, I had to teach kids how to use, you know, a screwdriver, how to use a hammer. We were building our own sets and painting it and doing everything on our own. And those kids were doing it just for the fun of it, just for the love of it, just for a place to be. They weren't, I never let them go out and take a bow. They never got, you know, the applause that, that, the, that the, the stars got. Nope. And so I just loved them because they were there for the love of it. Did you also have an interest in art at that point? I Had did. You yeah. Doing art classes in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, all, all all through childhood and school, I was always into um, painting specifically and a little bit of ceramics. So I mean that makes sense that I, I do what I do now because I I paint all of my sets with sure. the exception of just a a few when. Um, I'm able to have a, a scenic artist on on the staff, but I, I love doing that part of it and, and always have. Yes. And and, and again, I, I, when I walk into a theater and I see you there with a hammer or a paintbrush, it's always, oh, <laughs> Diane is here. <laughs> so now you go to UB, but you said you weren't sure about a major there. Did you did you go in, in, in with thinking in, in some way that you were going to end up in arts, in, in art, I should say, but not the arts, not theater arts. Those two things sort of happened when you were invited in by this friend of yours to go along into the theater. Am I saying this correctly? I I actually never intended on pursuing the fine arts. I had considered theater, but but the other thing that was on the table for me uh, was archaeology. Uh, I love archaeology. I love history. Um, I mean, all of that comes into play with theater, which makes sense why I, I love set design too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, really, I mean, any design has has uh, historical research that goes along with it. But yeah, if, if I wasn't going to be uh, in theater, archaeology was was next on the list. I have a minor in archaeology because of of you know going through the process. <laughs> How interesting! You know, and I hope my granddaughter's listening to this because uh, she's she's my other listener. I have uh, two listeners, my daughter and my granddaughter. And uh, my, my granddaughter, and I've told you this before, you know, you and my, you and my daughter share the same hair, uh, which is another reason why, you know, I have this affinity for you. But <laughs> she's, she did a little, she's going to be 15 this summer, God help mm-hmm. me. And she did a little theater stuff, but she's really, she's got her dad's art talent. She sketches and draws, and now she's making her own clothes and designing her own clothes without, and sewing her own clothes without, uh, without even patterns or anything and making her own patterns. But I've talked to her about how this art, this skill can take her into other areas of theater Mm -hmm. where she can actually work, uh, instead of trying to be on stage. But it's, she's also into movies, but that's a different story. But she wants to design now for theater and and film everything from costume so this is right up her alley so i'm going to make sure she listens uh, to another successful woman Mm -hmm. who is doing all of these things in the arts and somehow as you said got sucked into theater because it's all there for you Mm -hmm. i don't know if you ever listened my very first podcast with was with brian cavanaugh Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I listened. Yeah. He talked about how he was into painting and I never knew that, but how that led to a natural painting with light in light design. And I thought, holy cow, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do lighting design as well. I've done more set design in Buffalo, but I'm also a resident designer for Neglia Ballet, and I do the lighting for all of their major performances too. Uh, I was was going to get to that eventually, but it's all all connected to this eye you have for color and art and and Mm -hmm. composition and everything. I, I, you know, I sound like a fanboy, but I'm just, I am so enamored of artists in general of people who can draw and people who can paint and people who can create with, cause I've done lighting design and it looks like, you know, the lights are on and that's how <laughs> I've done set design and it looks like, okay, we've got three walls and a fourth wall. I've done that. It's, it's never anything to, uh, that is artistically, <laughs> aesthetically pleasing. It is utilitarian and your set designs and, and no doubt your lighting design 
always has this sense of artistic aesthetics about it, so closely authentic, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I'm Thanks, jumping dear. all over the place in this That's podcast. That's okay. Thanks. I don't care. <laughs> well, all right, let's jump back. So so you start getting involved in theater at UB. You get sucked into being a master electrician. You're running the lighting board. Take it. Where did, Then where does it go? So then starting a series of, of design courses, uh, Kathy Norgren and Lynn Kostelniak, um, again, both mentors colleagues at the time now. and mm-hmm. now colleagues. Um, and Ballyhoo that you mentioned that Lynn and I did the co-design on, on that together. Ah, okay. And again, to jump around a little bit, but, <laughs> uh, some of my first work in, um, Buffalo, Lynn and I did together. We did a lot of co-designs. I mean, geez, I think it's at least 10 years ago now that we were doing a lot of, a lot of that together. So taking courses, um, with the two of them and just getting involved in production. I mean, to, to kind of plug the program a little bit. The design program at UB is rare in that it allows its undergrads to design the shows. There's a majority of undergraduate programs across the country have faculty designers for the productions. Uh, Um, But UB encourages and builds into the program that undergraduate students are designing, not grad students. It's all undergrads that, that do the work with the rare exception of a, a guest artist that might come in for, for a production here and there. Uh, but having that experience really allowed me to see what it is to, to do it. I mean, that's, the, the, that's why you're in college is to do it, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and being able to, to be hands-on in every aspect of production. Oh, I was, I was in, I, I, there's no turning back after that. And then what, what kind of courses did you take? Did you immediately sort of refocus your entire curriculum around certain things that were more theater oriented? For the most part. Yeah. I, I still was taking archeology span courses. It had been such a, a love of mine for so long. I wasn't quite ready to get a, give it up, which is why I ended up getting the minor mm-hmm. uh, in it. But yeah, it was pretty much structured around theater courses. I mean, not to mention <laughs> the the theater life. Once you dive in, um, you know, you're you're on campus from nine in the morning to till midnight or or later <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so it, yeah, it was it was structured around the the theater courses. Well, let's name some other names. What what courses and you said Lynn, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I forgot the other name of the lady. Kathy Norgren. Kathy Norgren, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that they were mentors of yours, and they greatly influenced you, I'm sure. What other courses did you take there, or what other people did you come across who led you uh, t- down this road? So I'll, I'll throw Tom Burke under the bus as well um, for, for getting <laughs> me into this. Let him take the blame, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, the, all of the professional staff uh, that's, that's in the Center for the Arts, Harry Mandras, John Rickus, Carly Todoro Rickus was, was there at the time, all of them. And, and, and now, you know, colleagues and, and great friends, uh, they were all a part of my upbringing at the time. And we had... Um, uh, f- Folks will probably know Gary Casarella, that name. Mm-hmm. He was uh, on leave for a semester and John Saunders uh, was there. Um, and, and you might not know John because uh, he's certainly been more on the, the technical side of things, but uh, he convinced me <laughs> that it was a good idea to hang around in Buffalo the summer after my sophomore year and uh, start work at Indigo Productions doing lighting design. And so I I started with Indigo uh, that that summer. And again, it was just another like community of people to to get sucked into Uh, and ended up working for Indigo for five years and ran their lighting department while I was still in school. (laughs) For people who don't know who Indigo is, they, they set up, they have stage setups and lighting setups for all these huge all the huge concert. Full the, production, yeah. I used to know... Romanowski. Romanowski, that's who it was. Joe Romanowski, is he still there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, because that goes back to, you know, my early days. Uh, but Joe Romanowski, that's right. So just to explain what, what Indigo Productions is, they are the staging group who puts up stages and lighting rigs all over the city. And for, I assume, places like 
uh, canal side concerts and things like that? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't think that they were doing, um, when I was there, uh, Thursday in the Square was still in Lafayette yes. Square. Mm -hmm. And so we did the stage setup for that. But I I don't recall who's doing canal side right now, but it's it's not Indigo. It's a different company that took that took that over when it switched to canal side from the square. So then you did, in, after your sophomore year, you, st you stuck around in Buffalo to work at Indigo Productions. Mm -hmm. And was Eric, this is your husband, Eric, mm -hmm. was he going to school at UB as well? No, we didn't uh, meet until after I, I moved back from Dallas. Because he, he also does some technical things as well. Yes, he's a sound designer sound uh, and composer. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been doing uh, some work lately in acoustic consulting. Okay. Because that, in my mind, I just thought, well, makes that's a logical connection. Then you leave there. Why Southern Methodist? Well, well first of all, what was your degree in it at UB? Theatrical design and production. Wow. Okay. And, and so I got you a, look, a BA. Mm -hmm. you, so you look around and you say, I'm going to go to the warm weather. <laughs> so there is a, a national organization called IRTA, and it is a organization that allows undergraduate students to interview for a multitude of graduate programs uh, mm -hmm. in the theater specifically. Uh, and so I took my portfolio to New York City during my senior year at UB um, to this IRTA uh, festival and interviewed with about a dozen different graduate schools mm -hmm. and ended up deciding on Southern Methodist University and moved to Dallas for three years. And I, I should say, you know, you ask about Eric and he was in school at UB, but what, we weren't connected until later. We um, connected he was in the music later. department there. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Uh, did you have any reason to, excuse me, did you have any family down in Texas, down the Dallas area? Or no, did you not just at pick all. them? Oh, okay. And was mm -hmm. that obviously was a good experience for you down there? Yeah, it was great. I, I really enjoyed the, the program there. Um, I knew that I didn't really want to stay uh, in Dallas. Mm -hmm. just wasn't wasn't feeling the south i wanted to to come back up to the east coast at least and just end up coming back to to buffalo mm -hmm. was there anything that drew you back to buffalo in general well you know having the experience that i did with everybody at ub uh and at indigo and in just production in general i knew mm -hmm. that i would have some connections coming back here sure. and graduating during a recession that was a good way to to start off um <laughs> because you know moving to to some of the like bigger cities chicago new york just not financially viable at the time because sure. of where the country was at so sure. i came back here knowing that i could get some work <laughs> do you still have family in rochester yep mm -hmm. yeah so that's a nice you know just down the down the throughway thing yeah yeah, just a quick question I forgot to ask. Were you still in school when you and Lynn co-designed uh, Last Night at Ballyhoo for the JRT? No, nope, that was after I moved back from Dallas as well. That was after, because, you know, it, it's everything's a blur. The timeline, right? I know. <laughs> the timeline <laughs> is a blur. I don't know when anything took, took place anywhere. All right, so let's talk a little bit about when did you start back teaching at UB? Not long after I moved back from Dallas, I came in as a guest instructor to teach in the labs uh, mm -hmm. at UB. So working hands-on, again, doing electrics and painting. Yes. And then was invited to be an adjunct instructor. Um, actually, in costume design was the first design course that I taught, even though that's not my area of expertise. Uh, I... You know, it's talking about design and teaching design uh, can be applied across the board. It doesn't have sure. to, you know, always be where you spend your the most time at. So that was the, the first course that I, I taught and then just progressed from there doing uh, more courses until I was invited to be a part of the faculty full time. The creativity is, is creativity. And as I said to my granddaughter, design, everything, look around the room, everything is the result of someone's design someone's mm -hmm. art someone's create creative creative flow so mm -hmm. you start back and you're teaching a little well you were guest <laughs> guest uh, lecturing and then filling in sort of and then you start teaching more regularly at, mm -hmm. at UB right yeah. so mm -hmm. during all this time you're also picking up gigs as a a designer in various theaters which theaters did you 
did you dominate in? Am I right in, in concluding that Scott got a hold of you first? No. No. Kurt Schneiderman did. I worked at Subversive, oh, uh, Subversive. early on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I uh, also did some work with Richard uh, at New Phoenix. Um, yes. That was some of my, my early work there. And I think it was after, kind of after that, a couple years of doing Subversive and New Phoenix shows that Scott asked me to do the first show for Road Less Traveled, which was Clybourne Park. And that mm-hmm. was going up at, you know, the 710. Mm-hmm. Yes, I saw it. Yes, beautiful. And, and then he asked you to be a resident designer? Yeah, two years after that, I, I think. Geez, I'd have to check with Scott on oh, the, oh, that's <laughs> the okay. that. That's okay. He's, he, he was probably, took him two years to test you out and make sure that <laughs> you were worthy <laughs> to, be, to be the resident designer. But then you started, obviously started to catch on everywhere else as well. Yeah. Only recently, I thought, the Shakespeare in Delaware Park, well, recently, three, four years ago now, because we missed a whole year of, of, of Shakespeare, and then the Irish. Shakespeare in Delaware Park has actually been quite a while. I haven't done a show for them in about 10 years, I think. Oh, really? That was, a, that was one of the co-designs that I did with Lynn. We did the, the Scottish play and Much Ado. Was it the um, Scottish play that was all female? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I remember that. That was another... Another great set. So then you you just started branching out and doing all of these things. And now all of a sudden you are, I'd say, kind of in demand. And even the Cavanoke, which has a resident set designer, David King, I've always admired, you know, I'm just an admirer of art in general and, and of that kind of talent. And then you show up and do uh, Bridges of Madison County. How'd that come about? Yeah. So I have also uh, always enjoyed David's work at the Cav and just in figuring out the balance of what Lorraine wants to, to do there. She wanted to, to have somebody to help balance some of, of the work with David. And so Lorraine asked me to come in and do one or two shows a season until the pandemic you know, hit. I Shut was slated to, to do a couple shows in, in the now um, shuttered season. Yes. Uh, and so just splitting that with, with David. Um, and I'm sure so, those yeah. shows will come back in one one form or another. Here's a, a question I've often wondered about people of your caliber. Do you prefer any particular location in terms of theater in the round, thrust sort of stage, uh, proscenium stages? I know they all present different challenges, but what for you, I'll tell you just a very quick story. Back in the in the old days, before you were born, there was <laughs> the original Irish classical on Chippewa in the Calumet building. And in, mm-hmm. and the space was this oblong sort of extended oval. Mm-hmm. And right in the middle of it, there were two, right in the middle of the stage, were two <laughs> posts. And it used to be fun to work. The, well, actually, it was fun to even attend a show there because you'd think, I wonder how they're going to incorporate those posts into the set this time. And so every place has its challenges and its For different sure. pluses and minuses. Without naming a place, is, is there a type of stage that gives you uh, more latitude that you say, well, this will be fun? Like the Irish, it's in the round. It's completely, it's a square, but it's a round. And, and the Cavanoke is a, is a sort of an extended proscenium. Mm-hmm. But it, which one, not which one do you like, but which one presents more of a, an interesting challenge? You know, I don't think I have a, a preference for any particular style because I think the challenges that they all present just keep it interesting. <laughs> but I, I actually think with the, the sight lines that 710 is one of the, the hardest to design for with the thrust. Um, hard, harder than Irish to design for, I think. Because with Irish, you know that you're, you're in the round. With, with 710, there's a little bit of a deception that it plays more like a proscenium space, but it really doesn't. You no, really it's... have to, to think about it with the intensity of that, that curved thrust from, from all aspects, not, you know, not just design, but directorially, you have to think about that. You can't, you can't play that space like a proscenium. It won't work. No, no, it doesn't. But that's interesting that you say that. I would, I, of course, my immediate reaction would have been the Irish. I would have thought the Irish, you'd just go, the minute you got the script, you'd say, oh, you how am I going to do this in the round? Well, you, yeah, you still do that. But... You still do. 
<laughs> That's the fun part. Yeah, but but it's it's something as you said, it's something that you know up front. You know, you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. Right. <laughs> you knew it was going to be tough. But seven ten is deceptively, mm-hmm. and I I used to love the sets at the old studio arena. They were so, uh, well, of course they spelled spend a million dollars. That's why they're not studio arena anymore. They would spend a fortune on every set and everything. They they probably had a, had to build a new stairs every time. They never reused anything. Everything was out in the out in the garbage afterwards. Yeah, but, that's but, that's another one of the things that I I worked on when I was an undergrad when it was still Studio Arena. Tom Burke and John Saunders got me in there for set changeovers and electrics changeovers. The first time I ever used a sawzall was at Studio Arena <laughs> to to cut through a wall that was going in a dumpster because they weren't keeping any of the they don't the keep it walls. Any. Everything went out. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, do do you have a preference? I guess you're not going to say you have a preference, but (laughs) compare lighting design and and set design. Compare electrics and and construction. And uh, tell me a little bit about you know what you like and about that. So uh, I I first started my design life started with with electrics as i mentioned and and with lighting more so than scenic you know i I had always kept the scenic painting around but scenic design didn't come until a little bit later so uh electrics and lighting were my first love of of theatrical design so you have a soft spot for that it was the first first thing you got your feet maybe a little bit but um maybe because painting preceded it i mean i i will paint all day long, all, all night long. I love having a paintbrush in my hand. I cannot wait to get back into a theater <laughs> and, and paint again when all of this is done. Um, sure. but, but yeah, I won't, I won't say that I have a preference, but, but that's where it started. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there's a soft spot for electrics and, and lighting and, and so on, which, which brings us to the question, I guess, of when you are, when you receive a script, when you, when you get a gig and you get mm-hmm. the script and you're going to be not the lighting designer, but you're going to be the set designer, and maybe maybe do maybe do set decorations as well. I, I don't know. It depends. What what's your process? What do you what do you do first when you analyze a script? What what goes through your head? Talk about that a little bit. So regardless of of the role, and really regardless of the script, it always starts with given circumstances, and I I focus specifically on the given circumstances of the dialogue, and not not the given circumstances that come with stage directions, because it's not always, it's not always the playwright's voice that's coming through with those stage directions. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is, right? Um, but, but starting with the, the characters' interactions and what they're saying to each other and what that can tell you um, about the environment, right? We'll focus on, on set design. So, so the given circumstances that, that come from the dialogue. And, and from that, I immediately jump into image inspiration research. So looking at both primary research, so artwork of the time, uh, depending on on the time period, um, if there's photography available, looking at that and and what that can inspire and abstraction and how you can think about color and texture and all of the different design elements and principles. And the biggest thing to try and pay attention to for me when I'm when I'm gathering all of this is uh, to not edit myself at, at the beginning. Just pull in all of the visuals that that seem interesting for that particular show. And and you always have to start fresh. So I'm never going going back and and reusing images from something else. It's always uh, read through the script and then and then start the image research based on on the reaction that that I'm getting from it to think about the think about the environment for that. So. So that's the, the beginning process. If I can just if I can just ask you, I'm going to focus in on one set because I could pick something easy, mm-hmm. uh, like Billy like Billy the Kid, or because both of those sets and 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 undeniable, mm-hmm. they were very specific sort of. They had to be a certain sort of thing. The mm-hmm. undeniable had to be a dive bar. You know, mm-hmm. it had to be a rock and roll day. But let's look at Country House. Mm-hmm. Country House. That set could have been anything, really. Mm-hmm. It needed stairs. It needed, you know, upstairs. It needed French doors, I think. And beyond that, what did you get from the script that made you design this lovely, I, I don't even know how to describe the style of it, but what from the script or from the interaction of the characters 
as you just talked about, led you to that particular design? So with Country House and, you know, almost with, with Billy and with Undeniable Sound too, like all of them had different versions of the need to have a lived-in quality to these places. Mm -hmm. So thinking about what it meant for the characters to, to live in that country house. This was a place that, that the family had been coming back to, you know, for uh, at least two generations. And so it had to have a sense of, of age, but it also wasn't a rundown place, which, you know, um, in contrast, uh, appropriate, which is another road less traveled show. Mm -hmm. That was a similar, similar idea, but there was a, a rundown quality to that that needed to happen. Whereas Country House, it was a place that was that was uh, up, kept up in, in, in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it, it needed to have big open gathering spaces for, you know, the, the huge amount of, of family and friends to to come in and gather. So so having that that open feeling in, in the main um, area was was important and figuring out the, the ground plan for that was something that, that Scott Barron and I did together and something that him and I do together on, on most of the shows that I work with him as director for, he has a, usually has a very specific idea of, of how he sees characters moving in the space. And so it's melding that with, with how I am seeing the environment de develop and country house, you know, you mentioned we needed a, an upstairs, we needed uh, the patio doors to go outside. You need an exit to the kitchen. You need to have some sense of the main entry into the house. Once you start listing all of those given circumstances, a lot of stuff can fall into play. And it's like, okay, well, I, I like the feeling of, of these images and, and um, these houses here. This feels like a place where someone, where, where an extended family could gather. And, and you just compound all of that. And, and that's how, how that developed, I guess. And, and, mm -hmm. and really how any of those suggested realism locales develop is, is all in a similar process. So you and the director might sit down and, and he might say, uh, I would like it to look closed in, like they're trapped in, every, even though every space is open, mm -hmm. they, they might look closed in. So that gives you uh, something to work with, at least in tempering whatever images come into your head. Uh, you know, I want people to understand, I, when I do the podcast, I often, I really enjoy talking to the technical people a lot. Um, you know, I can talk to actors all the time because they'd always want to talk about themselves. There's no problem there. But I enjoy talking to the technical people because I don't think every, everybody who listens to the podcast, you know, both of them, do not know what goes into a theatrical production and what goes and the amount of collaboration. Because I'm sure then you, you also have to collaborate with the lighting designer whoever that may be, for colors and for, you know, where shadows are going to fall and whether this entrance to the doorway is going to cast, is going to be impossible to light and that sort of thing. So it's a giant collaboration, which also takes into account all of your creativity, but has to also take into account, yeah, but this guy's got to light it and this guy's got to do this and the actors have to do that. And as you said, the sort of the floor plan the, the way the director sees the actors moving, it's a giant, it's a giant collaboration as well, I guess, as yeah, well. Yeah, be between all areas, you know, you mentioned lighting specifically, but, but costumes, um, sound, if there's projection, any of that, if, if that stuff isn't driving, if that collaboration hasn't happened in pre-production, it's going to be apparent to the, to the audience when they see it. Mm -hmm. And just, it can't to, be just five dis disparate creative minds. <laughs> no, that, not well, I'm doing the lights this way. Well, I'm doing the costumes that way. Yep. <laughs> they all have to work in, in, you know, together. Uh, is there, is there, Maybe you shouldn't say this, but is there a favorite set design that you thought or one that you weren't sure about but really turned out great? Like like something you thought was a challenge and 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 you weren't sure, but then when it finally all came together, you were really just so pleased with it? Oh, that's really hard, Peter. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can cut it out if you I don't have to ask that question, but I just thought you know, like you, it's it's the child who, as she was growing up, you said she's never going to account to anything, and then she becomes president, and you go, <laughs> "Well, good for you." I I just thought you were a little, you know, strange, but actually, you turned out to be great. 
You know, I think the the one that keeps coming into my head with that question uh, is Frankenstein at Road Less Traveled. Yes, I that saw that. One, because it was a new work and working with David Oliver through a fair amount of his revision process with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we worked on that, uh, the concept for that for over a year, a year and a half. I wasn't too sure how that was all going to come together um, because it, things kept shifting and changing because it was a new work. But, you know, you mentioned collaboration and John Rickus lighting my set for that mm-hmm. and everything that came uh, from costumes. And I might be biased, but everything that, that came from Eric's sound design for that really brought that show to a wonderful level that I, that I wasn't anticipating and, and made the, the, the world that I was unsure about uh, really come to life. That's very cool. And Rickus is okay, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we put up with him because, you know. <laughs> every, every set that, that Rickus has, has lit of mine has, has just become magical with, with what he does. I, I he, he's... have known Rickus for 20 years and, and collaborated with him through most of that. And I, I, <laughs> I love working with, with Rickus. Yeah, he's a great guy. And, and, and there are moments when you just go... Oh, that was a cool, that was nice. That was really, it's, yeah, absolutely. You'll, you'll get a little bit of that when you when you uh, finally get to see Hand to God. I'm, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Just, well, we should probably wrap this up, but I want to ask a little bit more about teaching. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy teaching? I'm sure you'd, you would lie and say you were no matter what. But <laughs> recently, I mean, recently, the program that you led for seven years was named one of the top 20 Bachelor of Fine Arts Theater and Design programs, and that's got to be extremely gratifying. And uh, to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Peter. It it really is. We we've gotten that designation two years in a row now, and being the director of design and technology, and and working again in collaboration uh, with with Lynn. She was department chair during that time, um, we were able to, to do a lot with, with the program and, and bring it up to that status. And I've now handed over the, the reins of that program to my colleague, John Shimon. He's now the, the director and there's a new department chair. And, you know, just in academia, that's how things shift around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a privilege to, to be in that role and, and to get that designation. And that was something that was a complete surprise. You know, it was a 100% blind process that they were reviewing us and we had no idea. And, and when it was announced that, that we were one of the top 30 in the country, we, we were pleasantly surprised and, and shocked. It was, it was really great. Yeah. And that's a lot of competition. <laughs> yeah. Know, the whole is. country. And, and to, as you said, you were in charge, you, what was, how many years were you? Seven, yep. seven years in charge of that. And that that's got to be tremendously gratifying. So let's, one more time, what do you enjoy about teaching? Or don't you? <laughs> I do. It is, I'm just, I'm figuring out how to phrase it. I love sharing what I love. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love being down in the shop and, and handing that paintbrush to, to somebody else for the first time. They've, they've never done any scenic painting before and, I, I get to introduce them to that or working in the light lab with a student who never even considered that they would be figuring out the West Virginia rule to, to calculate watts, volts, and amps in, and to think <laughs> about how color of light mixes different from the color of pigment. Sharing that with somebody for the first time is, you can't replicate that. And, yes. and that's, that's what I really enjoy about it. That's very. Have you seen young Diane Burlingame's coming through? Dozens, dozens of them. <laughs> Do you really feel like the, okay? Well, this this one right here and that one over there, those are re- n- not no. really. It's hard to, to there's, make. There's there's too many. Yeah. <laughs> there's too many. Is there anything? Is there anything you still want to do that you haven't done? Like you, you have any interest in getting involved in other aspects of theater, like directing or anything? Do you? No, no directing aspirations. I mean, you've done everything technical, it seems to me. Everything from props to lights yep. uh, and everything in between. Here, I'll ask you the off-road question. 
what road might you have taken if you hadn't gone into theater? Would oh, we've already talked about it. it archaeology, definitely. Yeah. And where yeah. do you see? And what do you see yourself doing with that? Egyptology specifically. I love ancient Egypt. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. That's I would, very fun. I would love to to go go dig in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> but what about all those mummy curses, though? Oh Diane, no! I'm, you I'm you in. open up the money thing, the mummy thing, and then the, the ghost comes out and and melts your blood and stuff like in. I know that was no, Raiders I, of the Lost Ark. I'd be I'd be protected. I'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Diane. I think that well, let's end it right there with the vision. <laughs> Great, okay. the vision of you fighting off evil spirits out of a mummy's tomb, and, uh, and that'll think, be my next set design. Actually, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't oh, I love it. It would. You know, that would be cool because, you know, one of the things you liked about Undeniable was it brought back all these memories of dive bars you'd been in, you know. Too many. A, a, yeah. Too many, yeah. And now, <laughs> if somebody would direct a show about ancient Egypt and you got to put all of that archaeological, you know, inspiration into I'm it. I'm in, yeah. Oh, I'm sure you would be. <laughs> Diane, it's been lovely talking to you. Congratulations Thanks, again on the, the, your son, and that is just wonderful. And I Thanks appreciate so you spending time with me. Yeah, this was and fun. And I can't wait to see you in person again. Because yeah, that means me we'll be back in a the theater. Can't wait. All right. Lovely to see you. Take care, Bye, dear. Bye, Peter. Bye-bye now. And don't even talk to me about green bagels. Oh, my Lord. Green bagels. Oh, never mind. So that's Diane Burlingame, and that was David King. And they are great, beautiful designers here in the Buffalo area. We're very lucky to have such creative people among us. Well, I guess by now you've figured out that something must be up. Why do I keep inserting these little sound bites of clock ticking and now clock ticking with... A little drum beat in the background. Well, that's because something special is coming for the summer, and I am teasing you with it now, and it has something to do with time, time ticking away relentlessly for all of us. But the beat goes on. And that's all I'm going to say about it right now. We will be back in another couple of weeks with another great interview and another episode of RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Mm -hmm.